Take your Bibles, if you wouldn't, turn to Ecclesiastes. You don't hear that too often. Right after Proverbs. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. How many of you would like to have a better year this year than you did last year? Anyone like to have a worse year? Okay, I didn't think so. Better, it's one of the key words in Ecclesiastes. We're going to investigate it tonight. There's 22 times, if I remember correctly, it's used. In the, and it's a description. I'm going to show you in, on the screen a little bit. It's a comparison between two objects. One is better than the other. Better than really is the phrase. Similar to rather than or more than. They are three of the most common. And they teach values. They teach priorities. And uh, so we're going to look at that tonight. How to have a better year using the better definition that's found in the comparisons and contrasts in Ecclesiastes. But before we do that, we're going to have a little fun. All right? So you're going to have to take a little survey with me. And which one is better than the other one? All right? We have some fun ones to do. All right? So this is the fun part. Ready? Which is better, watching a movie or reading a book? How many say watching a movie? How many say, how many Christians say reading a book? (laughs) May your tribe increase. All right. Next one. Which is better, iPhone or Android? How many would say iPhone? Raise your left hand. (laughs) Android. Amen. All right. Next. Which is better, Pepsi or Coke? How many say Coke? Applaud. Pepsi. Wait, wait. Coke. Pepsi. All right. Pretty close. Apple or PC? How many say Apple? Raise your right hand. PC. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm liking to see. That's good. All right. Star Trek or Star Wars? Now, how many people under the age of 20 even know what Star Trek is? Anybody know it? Captain Kirk? Spock? All right. How many say Star Trek? You will, honey, when you grow up. Star Wars. Oh. You will when you grow up. Okay. Walmart or Target? How many are Target is better? Walmart is better. Wow, I'm surprised a little bit. Isn't Target French like Target? Yeah, that's right, okay. Ford or Chevy? Okay. Clap if you say Ford. Chevy. Honda. (laughs) Okay. Wendy's or McDonald's? This will say a lot about you, so be careful, but no. Okay, if you say, if you say, whoa, whoa, whoa. I give the third options here. Okay, Wendy's say amen. Amen. McDonald's. 
Oh, wow. We're divided in here. Good thing there's nothing political up here. All right. Serious ones. Now, this is for you to answer in your heart. All right? You have the idea now what better means. All right? Think about this in your heart. And then I want you to think about this also when you're thinking about it. Not only in your heart, but think about not what you just say you believe, but what the reality is. Is it really better according to how you live? Okay? What's better, good grades or godly life? Which one would your kids say? Which is better, pleasing God or pleasing man? Which one do you struggle with the most? Which is better, a good job or a good family? Which is better, a life with no risk or a life with no regret? Which is better or more important, which is the way we think about it, which is more important, where you live or how you live? Which one do we put more stock and money and emphasis on? Which is better or more important, being healthy or being holy? What consumes most of your prayer life? Praying for physical things or spiritual things? What does the Bible say about that? Ecclesiastes 7, 1 through 4. Let me read it for you. This is not, I'm going to tell you right up front. I hope this isn't depressing, but this is the introduction passage. I don't preach on it, but I use it to almost every funeral I do. And you'll see why in a minute. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 1. Watch the word better. and It's numerous times more in this chapter. I've just given you a few of them. A good name is better than precious ointment. Do I have that next, Steve? Nope. Okay. And the day of death than the day of birth. So here's what Solomon says. Your death day is better than your birthday. Verse 2. It is better to go to the house of mourning, funeral home, than to the house of feasting, party. Now, if you read all the Ecclesiastes, you'll know that sometimes when better is used in the comparison and contrast is used, there is no explanation given for why it's said. It's just taken for granted as a fact, as if somehow the comparison is obvious to everyone and doesn't need an explanation. But there are a number of them, if you took time to read the book of, read the book of Ecclesiastes, some of them have the word because or the little word for that follows them because they're so unusual that on your own, Apart from the mind of God, you might have a hard time coming to the same conclusion. So an explanation is given, a reason is behind it. And ours has that tonight. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feast. Why? Why would it be better to go to a funeral than a party? Most people would say that's completely false. Here's why. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will take it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by sadness of face, 
the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. But the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Again, the word better in this book, and particularly if you want to read more of them, is fascinating study on your own. You can do Psalms and Proverbs. Proverbs has more than any other book in the Bible, and they are very, very important ones to learn. So Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, three books in a row, and these books are called what kind of literature? They're poetry or wisdom literature, all right? So you have to understand, they are not meant in each one, like a proverb is not, most of the time, is not meant to be a universal truth that is true in every single instance. It is wisdom, okay? There's not, not that there is an exception to these things at times, but this is wisdom literature. This is what God's wisdom would say. Now, I got to tell you here, and we're going to stay at the end, that that's in- crucial, um, Two times in the Bible, if you want to write it down, in 1 Corinthians 1 and James chapter 3, the Bible delineates very carefully that there are two sources of wisdom that everyone uses and chooses from every time you make a decision. Okay? Some small decisions, some large decisions, but everyone uses two types of wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1 would say it this way, is wisdom of the cross. Now, to the average person, obviously the lost person in particular, 1 Corinthians 1 says that the wisdom of the cross looks like foolishness. So it doesn't even look like wisdom. In fact, the Greek word for foolishness is moron. And so when you act or live out the wisdom of God and make choices that stem and find its source from the cross of Jesus, okay, then you're going to look like a moron, can I say it nicely, to most people who watch you live out that kind of life. The other kind of wisdom, 1 Corinthians, I call it the wisdom of culture. The wisdom of the cross and the wisdom of the culture. Paul calls it the wisdom of the world. Let me add to that James chapter 3. James chapter 3 says, let me talk about the two types of wisdom this way. There's a wisdom that comes down from above. Okay, This is verses 13 through 17 at the end of that chapter. And then, so there's a heavenly wisdom... That we need, and here's the key, comes down from above. In other words, it doesn't reside in you. This is not a natural wisdom that inherently you have. This is a wisdom that is, can I say, outside of you. This is a wisdom that is divine in its origin. This is a wisdom that doesn't resonate with human beings until you know God. That's the kind of wisdom that we need. It would be the same as the wisdom of the cross. It's God's wisdom. In contrast to that, conversely, would be man's wisdom, human wisdom, or as James would put it, wisdom that comes from the earth. Wisdom that doesn't have God involved in it. It's a wisdom that completely makes decisions apart from God with virtually, if not any, consideration of God at all. Now, it's crazy, but it is possible that Christians can live that way. They can make decisions with their finances and all the comparisons we made about where you live and how you live and what's important to your family and to your children. See, all of us are making decisions all the time, but the question we hardly or rarely ever ask ourselves is what wisdom are we using to make those decisions? Because the wisdom that we use lead us in certain paths. The wisdom of God leads to God. The wisdom of the world leads away from God. 
And there's all kinds of consequences that follow as a result of it. So I put on the screen in front of you, it's a comparison or contrast between the value or importance of two objects. And we joked around about funny objects, but you know, seriously, there are a lot of things in our life, and, and this is called antithetical comparisons, meaning black and white. Now, is it always black and white? Is it always two opposites? No, there's somewhere in between, and sometimes it's not black and white, and there are gray areas, and we all know that. But Jesus was an antithetical or wisdom teacher. He would say this leads to blessing and this leads to cursing. He used it so many times. He says there are two trees that bear fruit, good and bad. There are two houses built on rock and on sand. There are two paths, one's narrow, one's wide, two gates. And he would use these analogies, not because there's never anything in between, but when you're teaching wisdom literature, God lays before his people and for you and I tonight that we have choices to make. And they fit into these broad categories, either this or this. And God wants to challenge us tonight as we go into a new year. Will your year be better according to this word better in Ecclesiastes? If so, you're going to have to use that wisdom that God says. Now, I, I mentioned 22 times that word is used. So we could really do a course and we could make up some, maybe we will another time, about scenarios about how we would choose and why we would choose and what each kind of wisdom would dictate that we would do. So the Bible says, and we read the first one in 7.1, a good name is better than literally good oil. All right? So what is he saying? Good, precious ointment might be precious to make you smell better or make a profit off of, but what is a good name? It is your character. It is your reputation. So here's what he wants you to know. Hey, it's more important that you think and more valuable to you to have what's good on the inside than what's good on the outside. In other words, that you be good instead of smell good or look good. And that's a problem in our culture, isn't it? We are so worried and concerned about how we look that we would spend more time in front of the mirror in our bathroom than the mirror of God's word because we're really concerned that we look our best in front of other people. So we spend a lot of time, money, and energy. And what's that store, honey, that opened up at the marketplace? Yes. That is a house of worship, I'm concerned. I believe that. And it, but you, we spend a lot of time doing those things. But here's what he says. It's better to spend time on the inside. And it's kind of an old adage. But First Peter says, you know, it's a beauty that's the, on the inside that matters. More than the hair and the gold and silver and all that. Not because there's wrong with the outside doing those things. But what matters more, what's better, it's a comparison. It's not that the other one has no value, but what values, it's like, on a, it's like when you have scales. It's not that they're like this. No, it's like this one's more and this one's less, and you need to choose and live accordingly, right? Your birthday is better than your death day. Now, I'm not going to say anything more. I want you to tell me how in the world... Could this ever be true? How is it better on the day that you die than the day that you are born? Can you think of anything that, that, any way that might be true? Yes. Okay, good, right? That's a great one, right? On your birthday, you got a long, hopefully a long years to wait to see Jesus, but on your death day, you get to see him. What goes along with that? 
What starts on your birthday but ends on your death day, not just your life? What else? Your sin ends. What else? We heard it tonight. Sickness, disease, trouble, all the problems you have, right? The difficulties in life that you face. So in some ways, here's what he would say, that your death day is better than your birthday. Let me add a little bit to it. Going to a funeral, how in the world is that better than a party? Well, we don't have to guess. In fact, he's elaborating on the death day birthday statement when he says going to a funeral is better than going to a party. When you go to a funeral, what is the condition of the vast majority of people there? What is their disposition? Go ahead. Yes, they're very sad. They've lost a friend or a relative that they love, right? So there's a lot of crying, sadness, depression. But when you go to a party, do people sit around and cry? No. If you had a party at your house over Christmas, everybody's laughing, having fun. It's gladness, right? Completely different. So how is it when in our culture we shy away from pain and difficulty and trouble and crying and blah, blah, blah? So why is a funeral better? Well, it says, for this is the end of all humankind or mankind, right? I tell people when I go to a funeral, I said, it's good for you to be here today. Because did you know the Bible teaches that the funeral today is not primarily so much for so-and-so, and I named the person who died. Do you know what it's for? It's not primarily for dead people. What does the Bible say it's for? Oh, living people. Why? Because it's already too late. I don't say it quite this straight, but... It's too late for the person in the coffin, right? But not for everybody sitting in the funeral. So what about this in 2019? You know what's good for us? It's good for us to think not only about beginnings in 2019, but also about endings. Now, I sat and prayed and thought about this week a little bit. And you know, a number of people, not to be unnecessarily you know, depressing or anything, but we've had people at Faith Baptist Church. I was, I've been here 22 years, and literally for about the first 19 or 20 of them, I don't know if anybody who came here regularly had passed away. Not very many, Chris Conover, I mean, there may, a couple, but in the last two to three years, we've had a number of people, and, and a number of people who are your relatives, that they don't, may not be members here, but they're members of your family, and we, we, we can name them all off tonight, and I won't do that. But it's good for, you know, I sit down and think, my dad was 81. I'm talking to Jack Kestenbaum before the service, who's 88. I told him, I said, Jack, I don't want to live to be 88 unless I'm as good a shape as you are. And he told me he has six or seven appointments for now in April. So maybe I said, you know, maybe not. But my dad's 81. My dad told me he, you know, his, grand, his parents lived in the 90s, so he thought he had another 10 years. He didn't. But you don't think that way. Here's what he says. For this is the end of all men, all of us. And the living will, what does he say? The living will take it to heart. One translation I have says the living will lay it to heart. Another translation said, and the living shall 
put it into their mind. In other words, here's what they said. You know what, you know what going to a funeral does? It puts in your mind that you have limitations. It puts in your mind that you will not always be here. So how do you have a better year in 2019? Maybe it would be better if we lived like it might be our last. We were joking around today. Someone asked me how I was, and I go, good, I made it to 2019. I may not make it to 2020. And doesn't stories like Nicole's mother-in-law, Nancy, I mean, it seems normal until you have a stroke, right? And I'm not trying to scare you. I just think it's good reality. And you know what wisdom does? Wisdom says this, this is the end of all mankind. I have longevity in my family. And I thought it was very scary to think in 2019 that my wife and I have been married 31 years and she may only be halfway. So she may have a long way to go yet, but she may not. And so all of us have to think, you know what, you know what wisdom is? Wisdom says, let me take my life seriously, to take it to heart. Have you ever seen someone take it to heart? They're not laughing, they're not joking. And you tell your kids, get serious. Why? Because they're not taking important matters seriously. Right? You can see it by their demeanor and their disposition and how they respond to things. Have you ever seen Christians like that? I have. When it comes to raising their kids or when it comes to their own choices in life and things that they're doing, they're not taking it seriously. And here's what he says. Take it seriously because the next day you may stand before God. And give an account of your life. And the living will take it to heart, he says. Sorrow, therefore, is better than laughter. And for by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. So let me tell you in the last few minutes. How do I, how do I have a better year in 2019? Okay, Here's where it starts. Ready? Your heart. I'm going to go to the next one here on the slides. Sorrow, sadness. A better year. You need a wise heart. Now, I think I put it in here. We have wisdom is used. Remember I told you better is used 22 times? Wisdom is used 26 times. And the word heart is used even more, 33 times. So where does having a better year, if I went around tonight before you heard anything I've said, and I asked you individually, I pulled you aside, interviewed you and said, hey, how would you have a better year? You might tell me I'd have a better year if I got my health back and I wasn't like Miss Wilbur walking in two boots or like Mr. <laughs> Wing back there who's got one boot. This is the boot school I think we got going on here. And you say, well, if, you know, if I wasn't doing this and I didn't have these problems and I wasn't taking this medication, or if I wasn't worried about my finances and I could pay this off and I could get this taken care of, or if I had a better job, my, my year would be better. Or, and you can name a lot of things. But most of the things that people name, and then when I ask them that question, are things on the outside. Circumstances, situations, conditions that they live in, that they wish that they could change or had the ability to change. And in doing so, they think that their life would be better. But you know, the Ecclesiastes says that that's not where it starts. It says three times, ready? The face of the heart is made glad because the heart of the wise is in the house 
of mourning. Listen to this. You know what that means in the text? It means that I don't just get wisdom when I go to funerals. Here's what it says. Wise people go to funerals on purpose to try to learn from it. That's strange, isn't it? Now, most of us, a funeral, we probably try to get out of it. Or we only want to go to the viewing part. Can I tell you, and I hope you don't take this morbidly, I thank God for all the funerals I've been able to do. I have thought about it, and I've done weddings, and I've probably done a dozen weddings since I've been here. And I've literally done probably 50 or 60 funerals. I've done funerals at least two every year for people I have never, ever met in my life. When I first came here, I went to the funeral homes and told them as a ministry, if you ever have a Protestant need and you don't have a pastor, call me. So I go do Protestant, I do funerals for people. I've done two this year. I've never met them before in my entire life. But I've been able to give the gospel to hundreds of people. I did a funeral this week for Bob, Marilyn Fishman's mom, Ruth Bunting, who passed away and went to be with the Lord at 95. And I gave the gospel, and a lady came up to me, probably about my age, and she came up to me, and she shook my hand, and she goes, I want you to know that that talk you gave was really interesting. I said, well, what do you mean by that? She goes, you know the part about going to funerals and why you should. She goes, I heard what you said, and I said some things to him. That's how she put it to me. And then she walked off. Now, I don't know what that means. But when you go to a funeral, you have opportunities. And whether the person is saved or whether the person is lost, and I always say, if that person, whoever it is, could stand here today, I know what they would say. And if they're not in heaven, they would still say it. You know what they would say? Put your hope in Jesus. Put your trust in Jesus. That's what they would say. It gives me the opportunity. But every time I go to a funeral, I get to sit. Before everybody gets there, I come first, usually. And then when everybody's gone and they all leave and just the casket and the family there, I always stay because I never leave the casket by myself. I always wait and I walk it out and stay with that person until they're lowered into the ground. I believe that's my job. And you know what it gives me time to think? About my funeral and I get to do it probably four or five times a year, and it helps me think about, hey, you know what? You may not have another day to live. And you better be serious about the things that matter the most. And you better have the wisdom of God making not just good choices, but God choices to see what's better in life because I'm going to give an account for that. Imagine today if we could have a funeral in here and you're sitting at that funeral and you're thinking about your own life and your death. Let me tell you this. What would you change this year to make your life better if you knew that you wouldn't live past December 31st? It would be different, wouldn't it? It would be. So here's what he says. It's better. That's where the heart of the wise is. So you know what we need? You know what we need for a better year? We need to have a better heart. We need to have a better heart that thinks through those issues biblically. 
and said, you know what, I'm going to sit down this year, my wife and I, and we're going to have an evaluation. And we're going to talk about, hey, here's what we do with our money. Here's what we say about our kids. This is how much we're involved in church. This is how we do this. And this is where we go on vacation. And this is the kind of house that we have and the cars that we drive. You know what we're going to do? We've made those decisions. And I'm not even sure looking back if I could tell you why we made them other than the fact that we liked it and we could afford it. But are those the right reasons to make decisions like that? So you have to say, hey, you know what? We're going to sit down and evaluate this year, and we're going to say, what wisdom did we use to make those choices? And would I be proud of it if I stood before Jesus this year and had to give an account of it? I read an article, and I'll close with this, a Christian couple who were saying how great retirement was. And they were writing and telling all kinds of great stories about how they lived on a house near the beach. Don't get me wrong, nothing wrong with that. And they were saying that the greatest part of retirement was, and they showed pictures, their seashell collection. And all the different seashells that they had. And all, This was one of the highlights, and they are probably in their late 60s, of their retirement. And I thought, oh God, I pray there's more to it than that. You know how heartbreaking it is to go to funerals, funerals of Christians, and people stand up during testimony time to tell people about that person, about how great they were, and the things that were great about them were only about how great they could cook or how they liked to play a certain board game or they really liked to shop, or things that they said that were funny. Not because there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing wrong with any of those. But I keep waiting, and I keep waiting. Where are they going to say how much they love the Lord, and lost souls, and the Bible, and how they were so faithful to church, and what ministries they were involved in? And I sit back at the funeral, and I say, oh Lord, I want my kids to have had fun with me, and enjoy being around me. But when I die, I want them to think, my dad loved God. And he loved God's people. And he loved the ministry of the church. And I want them to say, this is what mattered most to him. Listen, we don't, God willing, we're not having a funeral tonight. But you can still have a wise heart. The psalmist put it this way, Psalm 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we might get, listen, a heart of wisdom. A heart of wisdom. If this was your last year, what would you do to change your marriage? What would you do to your kids? What would you tell them? How would it change your prayer life if you knew this was it? I hope it would change it radically. And God forbid it is. But boast not yourself of tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. For life is a vapor that appears for a little time. That's the Hebrew word. And then vanishes away. It's gone so quickly, so quickly. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's wisdom. Let's pray. Father, we want a better year 
in 2019. Better than ever before. But for us to have that happen, it may be, it just may be, that we need a different kind of heart. A heart that is filled with a different kind of wisdom. Not the worldly wisdom of what everybody else does or what the people on TV do or even perhaps the majority of Christians around us. But a wisdom that comes from above. A wisdom that finds its origin in the radically reversing thinking of the cross. Father, perhaps life and most everything in it might be different. Not odd different, but God different if we made decisions based on that kind of wisdom. I pray for all of us tonight, give us that kind of heart. A heart that desires biblical wisdom from above. It's not natural, it's outside of ourselves. So God, we pray that you'd give it to us every day. Proverbs says, and with all thy getting, get wisdom and understanding. Father, help us to get that wisdom and not let it go and live it out in every circumstance this year for your glory. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.